also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous, the righteous into eternal life. Please be seated. Out of all of the questions that the human mind can come up with, there are three or four really great ones that we have contemplated over the years, struggled with over the years, looked at and attempted to answer via whatever means we would try to answer those things. One of those, why am I here? Second one, how did I get here? A third one is, what happens when here is no longer here? What happens when everything is over? Those are some great questions. It would be the, uh, the top uh, human minds that, that would attempt to look at those and answer those, and yet you hold the answer to all of those in your lap right now. The Bible answers those on almost a, a juvenile level. That is, uh, God would teach us in such a way that we can teach our children from a very young age of why this or that or where this or that or what about, what about life after death. Many times the statement is made, what about life after death? I think this, the question is worded wrong. What about death after life? Is that a thing? Is that, is that true? Is that real? Uh, this morning we're going to take a, a look at the idea of death after life. It's in Acts 20 and verse number 27 where Paul will state, For I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. If in fact I'm going to be a preacher and I'm going to preach from the counsel of God, it behooves me by the very command of God that I preach all of His command. Even the parts I don't necessarily like. I don't know of a, of a single person who would say, let's talk about punishment and have a big happy smile on their face. We don't really want to talk about that. I don't like to be that guy at my house. That guy you make me be. Sometimes I have to be. I would much rather be the fun-loving, let's play around and have a great time, Dad, but sometimes you have to be the um, things are not in order, not right, and we're going to correct them right now before anything moves on. I don't like to be that guy. 
Roy Summers is not a member of the church. He wrote a book called The Life Beyond, and, and in that book he, he wrote this, and I think it's a pretty good excerpt. What he wrote, he said, we would do well to remember that, that we are dealing with terms in an attempt to describe a condition and a place that almost defies description. Now, when he writes that, he's speaking about the, pl- the place of punishment known as hell, but you and I could also take that little excerpt and apply that directly to heaven. Places that, that are beyond description, we with, with mere words of the human tongue are trying to describe those things in a way to, to urge people to be obedient to God. Here's the nature of man. Man likes to revolt against the idea of hell. There there are some who would deny the reality of hell and at the same time affirm the reality of heaven. Did you get that? The exact same words are used to describe the exact those two places. And we will, we will want to accept one and reject the other. Is that because of the punishment? Some others try to find a different alternative. I couldn't remember this word this morning, and uh, John helped me out. The word is purgatory, which I was thinking about. You know, if you have enough money in the, in the early uh, 10s and 11th century, you could buy your way out of hell. That was an introduction of the Catholic Church. They would say things like, uh, every time the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. What a great advertisement for that. All you have to do is pay the right amount of money. Is that how that works? If that's the case, then I should just do whatever I want to and save up enough till the very end, right? Still others would, would belittle hell and the seriousness of sin and make sin and that punishment some sort of punchline because we don't want to have to deal with it. And we certainly don't want to deal with the justice of God toward sin and toward unrighteousness because I could, I could find myself in the crosshairs. I think the reason man tries to maneuver around hell is simple. And that is, man wants to do what he wants to do, and he wants to be rewarded for it. Have you ever heard the expression, uh, you want your cake and eat it too? Anybody ever heard of that? Do you, is that what, you want your cake? You want to eat it too? I told them in the early uh, services this morning, I didn't like cake. But I, I would like to have my own pie and eat it too. Oh, sure. We want to have exactly what we want, and we want to be the authority, and we want God to reward us for that. Mm. Let me tell you that according to the Bible in May of 16th of 2021, That's not how that works. God doesn't allow us to make our own decisions and and direct our own paths and then say, you did a great job. 
You mostly got everything close to right. Here you go. Look at this word. That's a funny looking word there. That first large word that you see on this screen is the word Gehenna. That's the uh, Greek word. Uh, it's, a, it's a term for uh, a valley just south of Jerusalem named Hinnom. This valley ha has a lot of historical value for us. This is the valley where the Canaanites began to offer their children to the god Molech, and this, this the same valley in which the nation of Israel fell right in line with that idolatrous worship. So Molech was a god of fire. And uh, to make a god of Molech, he would be uh, made out of brass. And the inside of him and the back of him would be hollow. And so they would start a fire on the inside of this God as he's brass, and he would be sort of sitting in a chair with his arms held out like this. And they would get this, this brass God hot. I mean screaming hot. Red, so that the, so that the brass arms were just, just glowing red. And they would take their children and put them on those arms. Canaanites, Israelites, both would burn their children to death in that valley. It ultimately became a place where we would know it best as a city dump. Every trash, every piece of refuge from the city would kind of go out into this valley. And they would, they would burn those things there. And so the valley of Hinnon became a, a constant source of smoke and fire. It was always burning. They were always putting fuel to this fire. It was always burning. State of, of constant burning. And they say that the smoke off of it was, was so noxious it would, it would take your breath away. But when Jesus uses this word, while literally it speaks of that valley, that's not what he's speaking about. And the Jews that are listening and understanding don't think of this particular valley when he begins to say this word. This is the word that, that the Jewish mindset is going to use for the place that is prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the place, this is the word going to be used for the place known as hell. And so instead of asking everyone around what we think we know about this place, what we think we know about that place, why don't we look at the revealed will of God? Find out what he would tell me about this place. Number one, in Matthew chapter 7, and also in Matthew chapter 25, where Brother Michael Cox read for us so uh, wonderfully just a moment ago, the most impending uh, attribute, I think, of the place known as hell is that it's a separation from God. 
As we looked at Matthew 25, we see there uh, this separation of of men and women, of, of sheep and goats, of saint and lost. And we see the first group, known as the sheep, the saints, having Jesus say to them, come on in. There's something that's been prepared for you because of the work that you have done. Enjoy your rest. Then about verse 25, 41 through about verse 46, we read Jesus asking the same questions, not getting the same answers. And in verse 41 he says this, Depart from me. There's a key right there. This is a personal opinion, and you can take it or leave it. I say that before I even make this statement. I think all of the rest of everything that you and I know about hell is a symptom of being separated from God. I can't think on this laundry list of things that, that we'll discuss about hell, I can't think of a, of a thing that would be worse than being separated from God, being in a place where God has never been, nor will He ever be. Separation. Separation from God is something that you and I can't even imagine. Think about being the worst human on the planet, if you, can, if you can possibly think that way. If you are, let me encourage you not to be that anymore. If you can think about that, think about being the worst person you can think of, and God still providing air for you. When you go to that place, that place of separation, there are no more provisions. He's not going to be there. Mark chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 10, Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 20 speak of, and 21 speak of this place, uh, and an attribute of this place being known as fire. I have an opinion that if it was just hot, man could stand that. Fourteen or so years ago, maybe a little longer, I had the opportunity to go to Guyana. I know it was 14 years ago because Miss Brandy was pregnant with Chloe, and she was supposed to find out what the sex of the child would be that that time while I was gone, and the doctor would not tell her. <laughs> I thought she was just going to hold it back. You know how cool, the coolest day, the coolest day, listen to me, the coolest day in Guyana was 117 degrees. You understand me? And, but but it, was, it was nice because about every four hours a good thunderstorm would come through, and then it would be excessively hot 
and almost like you were underwater trying to breathe. The humidity would be a million percent. And, and people thrive in, in that particular uh, area. So, so I would think if it's just hot, people could make that. People do it all the time. He speaks of a place that will be burning. Not only will it be burning and not only will it be a, a separation from God, he will mention it as death. You could take a poll of people around our city and even within a, a probably a five-block radius of where we are and find out that most people are afraid of death and the impending death that will happen to us physically. Imagine what they would think if they knew about the second death. Church, why don't they know? Isn't that our job? Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 20 deal with the idea of this being a second death. A constant second death. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, it deals with the destruction of the body. Not only death, but destruction. Completely tearing apart. Now, how does that work? I don't know. But I can tell you this, I don't want to find out. And then there's this word. Everlasting. Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 46. These will go away into everlasting punishment. Everlasting. The same word that would be translated as eternal or immortal. Everlasting. You have the same idea given about heaven as you do about hell. That is not going to end. We as the church find great amount of comfort in the fact that we look at heaven, we see it as a place that never ends. We look at it and we see it as a place that will be blessings forever. Don't forget, there is another side of that coin. Because just as long as heaven will be, so will hell. And we see in 2 Peter chapter 2, a place called outer darkness. Outer darkness. You ever been in the dark? You ever been in the dark so much that, that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face? How many of you have ever been to Ruby Falls in, in Chattanooga? How many even know? How many of you speak English? All right, I'm glad you're with me. So there is a place in Chattanooga called Ruby Falls, and they take you on a windy little, little path and I, I guess you go down to near about the center of the earth. I don't know how far you go down, but you go down in there, as we say back home, down, down in there, a good piece. Y'all know what that means? And then somebody, I don't know when the first time they did this, but somebody somewhere goes, you know what would be great? Let's flick the lights out on them. And then you're in the middle of the earth with I don't know how much around you so that no light comes in. They flick the lights out on you. You literally can't see your hand in front of your face. 
Now, there is an interesting side note to the human brain. If you stay in that condition long enough, your brain will begin to tell you and send you pictures of what you last saw. And you'll start thinking you can see that. Friends, talk about outer darkness. When your brain starts playing tricks on you to show you pictures of what you last saw, what if what you last saw was, was uh, the condemnation of the judge saying, depart from me? And that's the last thing that plays through your mind for an eternity. Outer darkness. Where there is, according to Matthew chapter 22 and 24 and 25, gnashing of teeth. I like older cartoons. I like Tom and Jerry. Do you know who Tom and Jerry are? One's a cat, for you who don't know, one's a mouse. So the creators of Tom and Jerry play off the ideas that cat, cats and mice don't like each other. One of my favorite cartoons of Tom and Jerry is when they're at the, uh, the pool hall. And for some reason, some point in time, Tom looks, bends down and looks parallel or even with the, with the playing surface of that pool table. And guess what Jerry does? He hits that ball and hits Tom right in the mouth. And his teeth begin to fall out like single pane windows. Just pew, 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 pew. Gnashing of teeth. Now you're beginning to grasp the concept. Gnashing of teeth would be a grinding until they explode. Now, do you understand that? So about three weeks ago, I uh, broke a side of a tooth off. I was doing something you should not do with your teeth. I was eating a peanut. I went to the dentist and he said, yeah, I see right there where it's, where it's broken off. You know why it's broken off? Because right here is real soft. Like, oh, great. I like candy. One of those uh, drawbacks of liking candy so much is if you don't get that sugary substance off of your teeth, they will decay. Making them easier to shear off and break off. But here with the idea of gnashing of teeth, you have good, strong, healthy teeth that are just bearing down against each other until they explode. And that's an attribute of the occupants of the place known as hell. That place that's outer darkness, that's everlasting, that place that burns with fire and brimstone, that place that's destruction. Why in the world then would God send anybody there? Your question's wrong. Why then, knowing everything God has told me to avoid that place, would I send myself there? Now you've got the right question. What do I know about God? Well, according to 1 John chapter 3, I know He's all-knowing. And so there's nothing within this life that I'm going to slide by Him. There's nothing in this life that I'm going to be able to do that He's not going to know about. I also know from James chapter 1 and verse 7 that He is changeless. 
That the same God that was of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. And he requires the same thing from me that he required from Adam and Eve. Now, nothing about a fruit, but everything about obedience. See, in, in uh, Rev, uh, Romans 11, verse 22, what I read there is Paul writing, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. And perhaps you look at that and say, well, the severity of God you see in the Old Testament. Talk to, to Ananias and Sapphira and see if you see it in the, Old, in the New Testament also. Find out in Hebrews chapter 6 that it's impossible for God to lie. There's a lot of things God can do, but there are a couple that He cannot, and one of those is lie. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, of, the, of, of all these things I know about God, the, the one that we hang our hat on the most is that He is the keeper of promises. For those who are faithful, He promises them an eternity with Him. Brethren, He's still the keeper of promises for those who are unfaithful also. He promises them an eternity also, but just not with Him. Looking at a few moments on everything you know about hell, everything you know about God, would you be willing to live today like there'll be no punishment at all? Ever? That God will be obligated to save me because I'm a, a person? Would you be willing to live like you have time to make things right? I've got plenty of time. Really, how long do you have? That's a whole other lesson in and of itself. You know, my clock and God's clock may not be synchronized. As I look around this particular assembly, I see those who have not put on Christ in baptism, and my question for you is why not? Why not? What exactly is it that you're waiting for? It is God who, in the very base, basics of terms, put this out there. I want you to hear what I have to say. Romans 10, 17, and I want you to believe it. Hebrews eleven four. God would say, I want you to repent of your sin. Luke 13, 3 and 5, and to confess that my son is the Christ. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 32. I want you to be baptized. I want you to wash away those sins. I want you to be raised to walk in a newness of life. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. If you haven't done that, you need to. Boy, do you need to. And if you have, and yet you're, you're still clinging at parts to the old world. You're still letting the old man live on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday. What, why? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song for your encouragement. And we're going to ask one final question. And the lesson will be yours. Are you willing to leave this building today? In the condition in which you sit... Ready to meet the Lord. If not, come back to Him right now while we stand and while we sing.
Christ, I pray.